Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! You are great. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. Hey, you are listening to the 30-something movie podcast. I am your host, John Reed. Uh, This time I have with me Pat. How you doing, Pat? Hey, hey. Um, and this time around, we are going to be talking about the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, and if you're sitting there thinking, what the heck is that? Uh, don't worry, because according to the box office numbers and how much money this movie made, you're not alone. A whole bunch of people didn't see this movie. Um, so we're going to be talking this one. Uh, this is episode number 192, getting closer to 200. Very, very fast. I've got a, a quick shout out and then I've got maybe like one thing that we could talk very fast on uh, for our new movie stuff and then we're just going to jump right on into talking about the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, my one really, really quick shout out is um, on Twitter the other day. I was kind of interacting with some people, talking to some people on Twitter uh, related to some 80s movie stuff and um, this author of a book uh, his name is Kevin Smokler, and uh, hopefully I'm saying that right. Smokler, Smokler, I think it's Smokler. Um, he wrote a book called Brat Pack America, a love letter to the 80s teen movies. And I actually checked this book out from the library at one point, but life got in the way and I wasn't able to finish it. And he actually was, I believe he's from, uh, I think he's in California is where he lives. Um in San Francisco, he lives in San Francisco, but he, I think last year, might have been last year, might have been a couple years ago, he was here, like up in this area, up in the Chicago area, and the Northbrook, we live close to Northbrook, Illinois, uh, which is close to the fictional area of Shermer, Illinois, from all the John Hughes movies, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. he was up at the Northbrook Public Library, was doing a lot of different 80s stuff during the summer, uh, it was either last year or a couple years ago. And he was speaking, and he was talking about his book, and I had really wanted to go, but something came up, and I wasn't able to make it, Um, and I was kind of hoping to get to talk to him, maybe even for our podcast, uh, when that happened a couple years ago, and it just didn't, the stars didn't align, it didn't happen, so I wasn't able to make it, but I was able to check out his book, and I was able to start reading it, um, but then I I just did not get a chance to finish it, and so I was talking the other day with a couple of different people on Twitter, and he happened to be part of the conversation, and uh, he messaged, oh, wow. he actually sent me a message, and he's like, hey, I'd love to send you a copy of my book for free, um, you know, let me know where I can send it to. Well, okay, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, actually, just cool. just in the mail the other day, I got a copy of his book, the Brat Pack America book, and uh, started reading it again, okay. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through reading it this time, and uh, he's, I've kind of been talking back and forth with him, and at some point, I want to finish the book first, just so I know what I'm talking about, um, at some point, he said he would love to be a guest on our show, so... We will. Uh, oh, wow, that We will. Cool. Uh, we'll get him on here at some point. I'll, I'll talk to him a little bit about his book and maybe some of like his favorite '80s movies, and uh, we'll get him on here at some point soon. 
um, once we can get all that stuff arranged. But uh, so that's that's pretty cool. So if you want to check out, if you really like '80s stuff as much as we do, and especially the '80s teen movies. Um, Go ahead and go check out Brat Pack America. If for nothing else than on the front cover, uh, front inside cover of the book, he has a map of the United States and he points out all the different locations in the United States that these 80s teen movies take place. And so it's kind of fun to look at the map and be like, oh yeah, Oklahoma. The Outsiders takes place in Oklahoma. Or, uh, let's see, Better Off Dead and Fast Times at Ridgemont High is in Southern California. Or The Lost Boys is in Central California. Or American Graffiti is in Northern California. Uh, Weird Science and Sixteen Candles and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that's in Chicago. And if, if for nothing else than the map, like that's worth the price of admission right there. But um, the book is great, too. So if you are a fan of 80s movies and 80s teen movies, definitely go check out Brat Pack America. It's a really, really good book. And uh, hopefully very, very soon we will be able to get Kevin Smokler here on the show and talk to him a little bit about the 80s movies that we love. Here's my really, really, really quick new movie news thing. Yeah, you got to, you saw Solo, didn't you? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. So here's my really, really, really quick new movie news thing. And already, it's, it's so new that new stuff has come out. Um, within the last couple of days, there was some news that came out and some people were reporting that Disney has now canceled or at least put on hold all of the other... Star Wars story movies that they had planned. So like a Boba Fett movie, an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie that they had, because Solo did not do well, um, they said, we are stopping those movies, we're not making them, we're going to focus on episode nine, and then we'll see where we go from there. Okay. So I was very bummed out, because I think that a lot of the stuff around surrounding Solo not doing well, and people being a, a, a very vocal minority, being upset about The Last Jedi... And all this stuff with Star Wars fans harassing the actors, and it, it's gotten me very angry at other Star Wars fans right now. And like, I don't want to be associated with them because I think they're being dumb. Yeah. Um, and then this kind of stuff comes out where it's like, there were these are movie ideas that, you know, do we really, really need an Obi Wan Kenobi movie? No. Do I really, really want to see an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie with Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan Kenobi? Absolutely I do. So I don't know. I don't know what's causing... If, if people didn't go see this because they were super negative about it or I don't know what. I mean, but if it's, if it's other fans that are taking things that have been planned and ruining it because of their backlash against it, then mm-hmm. I'll repeat what I said in one of our other shows. Go find a new hobby because my kids really like Solo and they would like to see more, more movies like that. If you didn't like it, then just don't go watch it. Yeah. But like all this yeah. crazy, like, we're going to protest and we're going to boycott and we're going to... Really, there's more... And I think I said this in one of our last episodes. There's way more important things in life to go protest and boycott. If you really, really, really want to boil it down to it, like yeah. there's more meaningful stuff that you could spend your time protesting and boycotting rather than, you know, arguing, well, it's not my Star Wars. Yeah. No, I agree. And I definitely hit that last, or maybe two weeks ago, I think we discussed the internet attack or Twitter attack or whatever yeah. it is that they call it, at the one actress. And, you know, I mean... The one part of me that just wants to be like, 
you know, a little bit more chill about it, just says, well, you know, maybe they're worried about the Star Wars fatigue thing. And just like, you know, they had all these ideas and now it's amping up to the point and these movies weren't as popular. Okay, well, let's, you know, the, the, the age-old rule of show business, keep the audience wanting more. Right. Um, okay, so, you know, let's, let's, let's push this back a little bit so that we don't, you know, like uh, uh, run out of interest in Star Wars. But then on the flip side, I mean, I, I completely agree with you that it's like, well, okay, then the, the people that don't like that, then just don't watch that. And right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the Internet has given people a voice, uh, and, um, you know, we can sit here and argue till episode 200, uh, whether it's, you know, is the Internet and the social media cause this, or does it just kind of reveal people's true nature, or... Do people think because, you know, you, you get behind a keyboard, you know, the, the whole discussion that we've had, and it's just, it's just really a shame. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, I just maintain I'm the, the Walt Longmire thing. Just don't pay attention to social media because right. <laughs> I mean, it seems like there's 10 uh, just. Don't have, don't have your own phone. Always borrow somebody else's phone. Exactly. That was always his thing. And uh, that's right. We just, you know, just, just ignore it because it is. It just seems like someone's coming out and just all the anger and, and just terrible things. I mean, there's no other reason for it. Like you said, people protesting and just saying stupid and sometimes very hurtful and very bad things. And it's just like, I, I just don't have time for all that. So, right, right. If the movie houses are deciding, like, hey, you know what? Let's pull this thing back. We don't want to. We don't want to rush it. We don't want there to be Star Wars fatigue. Let's just take our time with this. Okay, cool. I'm if cool it's with that. just a response, what was that? I said I'm cool with that. I'm sorry, it was kind of breaking up. Can you say that one more time? Oh, I, I said I'm cool with that. Right, but you're. But it, then, it, right in line with what you said, if it's just that you know, there's this vocal minority of of people just shouting and complaining and all that kind of stuff and they're responding to that, then that would be really unfortunate because, um, you know, you got nothing nice to say, just keep your big mouth shut, you know? I mean, yeah. you don't, or, or like we, my kids learned in preschool, don't yuck my yum. All right, so let's go ahead and we'll jump on into our little background info on the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, this movie was released, now it was released in the U.S. and the U.K. In, at, technically in 1989, um, but it was first released in December, uh, December 8th of 1988, um, I believe in Germany. So that's the date we're going with because this is our 1988 year. Uh, so released originally 8th of December 1988, was rated PG with a runtime of two hours and six minutes, directed by Terry Gilliam, who did Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Brazil, and Twelve Monkeys. Producer was Thomas, I'm not entirely sure how to say his last name. I'm going to go with Shuley. I'm going to go with Shuley. Uh, he was also a producer for The Name of the Rose and Alexander. Writers on this one were Terry Gilliam did the screenplay. Uh, he's from Monty Python, Brazil, Time Bandits. Charles McCune uh, did the screenplay for this. He also did Brazil. And then Gottfried August Berger and Rudolf Eric Rasp. 
did the um, kind of the, some of the original stories. They were from the 1700s, so they don't have any other movies um, that they've done screenplays for because there were no movies back then. Um, but they were from kind of the late 1700s, and they were writing some of the original stories of the actual uh, Baron Munchausen um, that existed in real history. So, uh, cinematography was done by Giuseppe Rotuno, and he did Amarcord and All That Jazz. Music was done by Michael Kamen. Uh, is it Kamen or Common? I know we've said this before. I don't know. I've always said Kamen. Okay. I've always said Kamen, but I, I don't know if that's right. But um, he died in 2003. He did the music for Brazil, Highlander, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, and X-Men. Budget for this one was $46.63 million. The box office was $8 million. So Oops. it did not make money at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, John Neville, who died in 2011, played Hieronymus Carl Frederick Baron von Munchausen. He was in The X-Files and The Fifth Element. Eric Idle played Desmond and Berthold. He was in the Monty Python movies and TV. Sarah Polly played Sally Salt. She was in The Sweet Hereafter and the 2004 version of Dawn of the Dead. Oliver Reed, who died in 1999, played Vulcan. He was in Gladiator and Oliver. Charles McEwen, uh, who was also one of the writers, was Rupert or Adolphus. He was in Spies Like Us and Life of Brian. Winston Dennis was Bill or Albrecht. He was in Brazil and Time Bandits. Jack Purvis, who died in 1997, he was Jeremy and Gustavus. He was in Time Bandits and most of the Star Wars movies. Valentina Cortese played Queen Ariadne or Violet. She was in Day for Night and the Barefoot Contessa. Jonathan Price played the right ordinary Horatio Jackson. He was in Brazil and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Bill Patterson played Henry Salt. He was in The Witches and Miss Potter. Peter Jeffrey, who died in 1999, played the Grand Turk. He was in The Abominable Dr. Fibes and Midnight Express. Uma Thurman played Venus or Rose. Uh, she was in Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. Allison Steadman played Daisy. She was in Life is Sweet and The Singing Detective. Robin Williams, who died in 2014, played King of the Moon, also known as Ray DiTuto, uh, was in Good Morning Vietnam and Mrs. Doubtfire. And Sting played the heroic officer who is executed for his heroic acts. Uh, he was in Dune and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Critical reception for this one, Rotten Tomatoes. The critics gave this one a 92%, so very high praise from the critics. Uh, Ebert said, for adults, this is a special effects movie, and we approach it in that spirit, also appreciating the sly wit and satire that sneaks in here and there from director Terry Gilliam and his collaborators, who were mostly forged in the middle of Monty Python. They have not made a children's movie, but children may find it fascinating because these adventures involve castles and sultans and horses and knights and the man in the moon, subjects that seem fresh now that the high-tech hardware of outer space is taken for granted by most kids. And he gave it a three out of four stars. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the audience for Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 82%, so a little bit lower than the critics. Uh, but Cinema Score, so these are people actually leaving the theater, seeing it when it came out. Uh, Cinema Score, it got an A-, so people seeing it at the time in the 80s, so the, the very few people that went to go see it, um, gave it an A-, which is pretty much in line with what the critics gave it. So people did like it uh, when they went to go see it, there just weren't a lot of people going to see it. 
awards for this one. It was nominated for several Oscars for Best Art Direction, uh, Set Decoration, Best Costume Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup, and it won BAFTA Awards for Best Costume Design, Best Makeup Artist, and Best Production Design. So a quick little summary. I pulled this off of Google real fast. The quick summary is, During the Age of Reason of the late 18th century, the Turkish army lays siege to a European city where a theater production about the extraordinary heroics of famed German aristocrat Baron Munchausen is underway. A man steps forward to object that the performance is full of inaccuracies, claiming that he is the real Baron Munchausen. When the Turkish army approaches with gunfire, the Baron undertakes his latest adventure with his promise to defend the city. So here is the trailer, and we will be back in just a moment. From the director of Time Bandits and Brazil, a new movie full of noise. <laughs> Flying objects. Trust me, madam, your underwear is in good I'm Baron Munchausen. Mm, that sounds nasty. Is it contagious? Compassion. The Sultan is going to cut off my head. And? And? Travel. Now you come back here and expect me to follow you to the ends of the earth. Yes. All right. last words? Not yet. Not yet? Is that famous? Gravity. We've been dropped from the center of the world to come out on the other side. Bull. He was full of it. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. A true story. We've got the film to prove it. So the original stories, uh, Rudolf Rasp wrote Baron Munchausen's narrative of his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia uh, in the year 1785, and it was based off the stories of the real-life Baron, Hieronymus Karl Frederick Fair von Munchausen, who lived from 1720 to 1797. Um, and apparently he was very boastful about his different adventures, making up all kinds of crazy stories about things that he did and places that he went. And uh, So he was a real-life figure, but he, you know, tended to make stuff up about himself. Um, so, you know, who knows? If he lived today, he could run a country. Um, several movies about the story. I said that out loud, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Hey, we were all thinking you just said it. That's I, all. I know. Keep going. I, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's basically what I do here. Um, several movies about the stories of Baron Munchausen were made in the early half of the 20th century. Most recently, there was a two-part TV movie um, that was done in 2012. Uh, it was one of the most expensive movies ever made at the time. So the $46 million uh, made it, at the time it was made, it was one of the, I think I read somewhere, it was one of the top four or top five most expensive movies ever. Jeez. And so clearly that's why it did not make its money back, because it was way over budget. Um, yeah. This kind of forms an informal trilogy for Terry Gilliam as a director, um, 
he had his movie, it, it, kind of his movies, he said that his movies represent the three stages of mankind and the three ages. Um, so his first movie, Time Bandits, that came out in 1981, is supposed to be kind of the youthful, um, youthful approach to imagination. Uh, middle Age was Brazil in 1985, and that's kind of like the middle-aged person's take on imagination. And then for the elderly, it was this movie, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. We have an older character and uh, kind of his imagination, what it, what it goes through. Um, and actually the actor, uh, the little person actor Jack Purvis appears in all three of those movies. Uh, this was Uma Thurman's first acting job, but because this movie was so far behind and delayed, this is not the first movie that she was in. Uh, she made a movie after this, but that movie actually came out first. So even though this was her first acting job, this was not the first movie she appeared in chronologically. If, if that makes sense. Uh, the role of the King of the Moon was intended to be for Sean Connery, um, until they cut out a lot of the role. I guess there was more going on with the King of the Moon, and then when Sean Connery saw that it had been cut down the way it was, he didn't feel like it was kingly enough, so he said, nope, I'm done, I'm out. Um, and so then they said, okay, well, would you rather play Baron Munchausen? And Sean Connery was like, no, I don't think so. I think I'm just done. And so he, he left. And so then they needed somebody to replace him. The budget was pretty much already gone at this point. Um, and so they said, okay, we just, we need to get somebody and I don't even know, let's call up Robin Williams. He's cool. So apparently they called up Robin Williams and he flew to England and he did his role. I think like as soon as he got off the plane, he went to the, the studio, he did his filming and he was done and he does not show up in the credits and he did not get paid for this movie. He just did it cause he wanted to do it. Oh, so cool. that I thought was kind of cool. I'm a big Robin Williams fan anyway, so when I hear stuff like that, that he was just kind of doing this as like a favor to help somebody out, then I'm like, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, the film became notorious for its many production problems and cost overruns. Making matters worse was the change in regimes at Columbia Pictures. The new regime, not wanting any production from the old one to shine, quote, um, simply buried the film during its U.S. release. There were many markets, especially the smaller ones in the U.S., where the movie was not even booked at all. So that's part of the reason that the box office numbers are not very good for this one. It was kind of a... You remember kind of when we talked about The Black Cauldron for Disney? Yeah. That it was kind of like this movie yeah. is trapped in one of those in-between times where, you know, one, you know, one president of the company, you know, who really thought this was a great idea and was going to throw money into it, that person leaves, new person comes in, looks around and goes, what the heck is this? Nope, I, you finish your little movie, but I'm not interested in helping you out with it. I don't want, I don't want my name attached to this at all. Um, yeah. I, I think that's probably where this movie suffered too, because especially if audiences liked it, the audiences that saw it, they liked it, the critics liked it, so I feel like maybe if it had been given a little bit more of a push in terms of the marketing, um, and how many prints were available yeah. for people to go see, then maybe this movie would have done better, maybe it would have made back, made back some of its money, but just didn't, didn't happen for this one. So this movie, I, I, I will just say very, very quickly, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I was a kid. Um, I feel like I saw it not too long after it would have first come out, so I feel like I saw it in maybe... I don't know if we rented it one time or, or how we saw it. We didn't see it in the theater. I remember that much. But um, I probably saw this when I was about 10 or 11, so I'm 
it's probably like 1990-ish, maybe. Um, my dad was always a big fan of Monty Python, so that's probably one of the reasons why, if he saw that there was kind of a kind of a kids movie out um, by one of the Monty Python guys, then I'm sure he probably jumped on it right away and was like, "Let's watch it." Um, so that's probably why I saw it. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I, this is one that we watched. I, we watched a lot. Like I feel like we had this on video growing up. We were watching it quite a bit. Um, so it's one that when I mentioned to my brother and sister that I was going to be doing this movie for our podcast, they're like, oh, that one. Oh, I haven't even seen that in years, but we used to love that one. Um, but yeah, it was one of those quirky little movies that we just, I'd mention it to other people, you know, when I talk about different movies that I grew up with, I would mention this movie and people would be like, what? What are you, what are you even talking about? I've never heard of this movie before. I, who's Baron Munchausen? I've never heard of this before. Um, right. And in all fairness, right. in all fairness, I had no clue up until I did some research for doing this episode. I didn't know Baron Munchausen was an actual person that lived. So I didn't know who they were either. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of my history with this movie. Had you heard of or seen this movie before you watched it for the podcast? I had not seen this. I had not seen this movie. I remember you talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be about a year ago. And so it kind of went on my list of, oh, I've got to see these movies. And uh, then when I saw it was coming up, I was pretty fired up to see it. So I had not seen it before. Um, I'd seen, you know, I've seen some Monty Python, and I saw Brazil. Um, well, and actually, I've seen Time Bandits, too. Yeah. So I guess I've seen, a, 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 you know, I, I'm well-versed in this, uh, this vein of movie. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, the first time I saw it was a couple days ago. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun movie. You could tell it was definitely a quirky kind of sense of humor but i don't know if it was specifically i mean would this be considered a comedy or is there really no way to get a you know if terry gilliam does it it's definitely considered a comedy um but it was it was kind of like just more of like a quirky silly adventure mm-hmm. thing um I, i'd almost movie. i'd almost describe it as like an ab- absurd fantasy adventure movie yeah i don't know if i'd call I, it a comedy but, yeah, and, and, and I got to be honest, I mean, I was kind of like cringing, like waiting for it just to go so completely over the top, but it didn't really ever do that. I mean, even the weird scenes, and I, I don't know if I can say by today's standards, or it, it wasn't that weird. I right. mean, it was, just, it was just fun movie, you know? So in this movie, I, it basically, here's like a really quick version of, of what happens in this movie. So some of the kind of major scenes, um, the movie starts off, and, and this, you, you kind of start off, as we said in the, in the quick uh, plot summary, you start off in some European city, and it's, all we know is that it's Wednesday. And um, right. typical Monty Python thing, we're going to tell you what day of the week it is. And um, the, the city is being bombed, and in the meantime, you've got these people that are putting on a play, and the play is of the character Baron Munchausen, and... You know, you, you can see that things are not going well for the city, and, and the Turks are invading, and um, and the play is interrupted by an older man dressed as Baron Munchausen, who's complaining that you know this is all wrong, it's inaccurate, and uh, from there we go on to him explaining that look, this whole war, he's the only person that can stop it because he's the one that started it. So you start off with the scene uh, as it kind of does these flashbacks, and it jumps from the past to the present day. 
And the first kind of major scene, it shows they're at the Grand Turk's Palace, and um, they're sitting down, and they're having a glass of wine, and he says, you know, the Turks, the Grand Turk says, you're never going to find a better uh, glass anywhere else. And he said, well, actually, I'll, I'll make a wager with you. If I can find a better one, if I can bring you a better one, then, uh, you know, what will you, you, what will you wager? And so Baron Munchausen wagers that uh, he can, you know, the, the Grand Turk can chop off his head if it's not a better glass of wine. And the Grand Turk, realizing that he's like, well, no, you're never going <coughs> to, excuse me, he's like, you're never going to find, you know, he's like, what, what if I can bring you one from, what does he say, like Rome or Venice or somewhere like that? Um, right. You know, it's, it's however many thousands of miles away. But what if I could do that within an hour? And the Grand Turk is like, ah, that's never going right. to happen. So I, as much gold from my treasury as the strongest man can carry. And of course, at the time, we don't realize that Baron Munchausen's compatriots that travel with him, we've got one of the strongest men in the world. We've got somebody who can see really, really far and, you know, fire, fire shots from miles away. Uh, we've got the little person that can uh, hear really, really well and, and blow like super wind at people, and then we've got the uh, Eric Idols character, Berthold, who is the, basically, he's the Flash. Um, and yeah. so, he's like, he makes the wager. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Whatever. And uh, so he writes a little note, and he sends off Berthold and, and to go get this, uh, this bottle of wine. And uh, in the meantime, we get the quirky little uh, torture symphony going on, which, I don't know, as a music teacher, have you ever thought of doing that? I, oh... You know, I'm not. I'm, this is going to go out, so I'm just going to keep my comments to myself. But I was, I was reasonably intrigued by that. Uh, not going to, not going to say maybe you haven't thought of it once or twice, but exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. So then um, we uh, we do see that eventually he gets him the bottle of wine. He's like, "Yep, nope, yep. You uh, you can take as much as the strongest man can carry," and so they take everything. Like every last piece of gold, right. they take it out, and the Grand Turk is upset. And so this is Baron Munchausen's explanation for why there's a war going on was because he got angry at him because he took all of his gold. Um, right. So then he says, I'm the only one who can fix this, so I'm going to go off and fix it. And he does plan to, uh, he needs to start by going to the moon. And so you know, this is just, this starts the whole fantastical adventure that, um, you know, it's it's absurd, it's kind of silly, but at the same time, it's very innocent and childlike, and, and so I kind of feel like, you know, as the critics were saying, this is a movie that could be for both adults and children, um, because you're getting plenty mm -hmm. of plenty of jokes and plenty of the Monty Python type stuff in there, um, you know, when he's, when he needs to, when he needs to create the hot air balloon, um, and he turns to the three women, and, and he says, you know, I, I, I'm going to go do this, but ladies, I, I need you to do something for me first, and I'm like, anything, would you kindly remove your knickers? Like, um, yeah. Um, oh, okay. And then you see that they've made the giant hot air balloon out of all the women's underwear. Um, right. So yeah. definitely, definitely got some yeah. Monty Python type stuff in there mixed in with the, uh, you know, kind of the childlike adventure type stuff. And uh, obviously he flies off to, he ends up flying off to the moon and um, uh, Sally, the little girl, hitches a ride with him. And he doesn't realize it at first, so right. she's going to go off on the whole adventure too. 
The one thing as a kid that kept freaking me out, and the reason I did not watch this movie, especially with, with Nora, um, my daughter Nora, is the angel of death that keeps showing up. That thing's pretty scary. That it was pretty, pretty it was cool. pretty scary. I remember, I mean, as an adult and as an older kid, I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. It's like a winged skeleton angel of death thing. But I remember as a kid, like seeing that for the first time, I was like, ah, it's not, um, it's not cool. That's kind of scary. Yeah. So that thing yeah. shows up on occasion. Stepping, uh, so we uh, we get the Baron Baron and Sally fly to the moon, and uh, we end up meeting uh, King Ray Di Tutto, which if you put that in its actual Italian means king of everything. Um, but uh, King Ray Di Tutto of the moon uh, is there, and, and we see kind of just the, these weird... And as a kid, as much as I liked Robin Williams and I knew him from other things... There were times that, especially before IMDb existed, when I'd watch this movie and I would look in the credits, I was like, I'm, I, I think that's Robin Williams. It has to be Robin Williams, but he doesn't show up in the credits. Why wouldn't Robin Williams show up in the credits? So before, right. I am, before IMDb and the internet, I had no clue. You know, so there were times I was thinking, well, maybe that's not him, but that, it really seems like him. Like I can't imagine that that's not him, but he's a big actor so his name should be in the credits so it was it was kind of confusing to me as a as a younger kid but um but yeah like really really kind of quirky weird the, their heads you know floating off differently from their bodies and um you know just right. just weird absurd stuff and then uh, you you go yeah, from but you know i was going to say like some of that weird absurd stuff it is weird and absurd to see it in live action but if it was a cartoon or a comic book, mm-hmm. yeah, that would that would be really normal. And so I guess that would be the better way for me to describe it. The movie is that it just kind of takes the stuff that you'd normally see in a cartoon, mm-hmm. and they put it in a live action movie or and, in a comic book, and they bring it into a live action movie. And I don't know how different it is. I know that he travels to the moon in one of the original stories, like the stories from the 1700s, 1800s. Um, I believe he travels to the moon, and there's a whole thing with the king of the moon in there. So we're talking about something that was even, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same as what we saw in the movie, but we're talking about something that was imagined, you know, over 200 years ago. So it, it has a bit of a timeless quality about it. You know, we could we could talk about, like, traveling to the moon and, in terms of the technology that we know of today, but it's just, it's, it's different enough and it's quirky enough and it's childlike enough that it works. And then they escape from the moon and they fall down to earth and they end up in a volcano and they run into the Roman god Vulcan, who has a bit of a labor dispute on his hands. Um, you know, right. we, we, we know all about union stuff, so he has a bit of a labor dispute on his hands and he's, he's able to get some of that worked out. Um, the downside is he happens to be married to... Uh, the very beautiful goddess Venus, uh, played by Uma Thurman. And Baron Munchausen has a bit of a thing for the ladies. Yeah. Baron Munchausen is kind of like the white German version of Lando Calrissian. Exactly. So so uh, he he does a little bit of dancing with uh, the Roman god Vulcan's wife, and that uh, Vulcan does not really take kindly to that. And so he kind of, you know, tosses them into a whirlpool, which then shoves them out into the ocean. And then from there, they get swallowed up by this giant sea creature. And from inside the sea creature, they have to make the sea creature sneeze them out. And it sneezes them out onto a beach. And then ultimately, they end up kind of back in the, uh, you know, back in the situation where he has to face down the Grand Turk and get this whole thing resolved and worked out. And, 
And uh, ultimately, finally, in the end, they do. The whole thing gets worked out, and it was Baron Munchausen that uh, was the only person who could solve this war in the end. And you spent most of the movie thinking that, well, no, he's just crazy. Like, he, this war right. is going on whether he's there or not. But then all of a sudden, you get to the end of the movie, and, well, the Turks are gone. Like, the Turks were invading, the Turks were winning, and now all of a sudden, they're gone. And maybe he did solve this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But then it takes a little bit of an adult twist, and he gets assassinated at the end. Yeah, wasn't ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of a twist you didn't see coming. Like, everybody is, everybody is celebrating, and everybody's, you know, having a good time, and the war is over, and we're safe now, and, and then somebody shoots him off his horse. So then, in the end, is he dead in the end, or...? Because wasn't he walking around at the end or something like that? Or what did yes. I miss? Well, and that's part of the that's part of kind of the absurd fantasy imagination part of this is that when he gets assassinated at the end, then it kind of cuts ahead to him back at the theater telling this story that he had been telling in the first place, and he says, And that was just one of the many times that I died. And so you right. get this idea that Yes, he ended the war, but how much of this was a made-up story and how much of it was actual history? And so I think it, it, it's kind of getting the idea as to what the original Baron Munchausen probably would have been like, the original historical figure that kind of like, you know, he, he actually existed, he actually had some different adventure, adventures, but some of the stuff was very, very exaggerated, and some of the stuff, you know, there were even the, the 17, 1800s stories, stories of him riding a cannonball across a battlefield and, you mm-hmm. know, crazy stuff like this. So, so basically the real historical Baron Munchausen is the guy that's just going to make up whatever he needs to make up to sound, make it sound really awesome, and he's just a really great storyteller. You don't really quite know if you can believe him, but at the same time, you might not really care because he's such a good storyteller. So I, mm-hmm. I think I think that's where we get at the end where he's been killed, but then it jumps forward to him telling the story. So it's the whole idea, as, as English teachers, we sometimes talk about the unreliable narrator. And mm-hmm. Baron Munchausen is kind of the the ultimate unreliable narrator, is that you have no clue if what he's telling you actually happened, but he's such a good storyteller mm-hmm. that you really, you just don't care. Right. So when he says, that was don't just like one it. of the many times I died, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm sure he's got other stories where he died, and but he's here telling us. Yeah, it's kind of like the Irish saying, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right. Very much so, yeah. So. so yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess my main uh, a couple of my main questions for this one are because because I knew that that most of everybody else that's on the podcast had not seen this movie and probably had not even heard of this movie. Um, you already said that you really that you that you liked it. Um, yeah, is this one that actually let me let me take it this direction. I was trying to explain to Jeff the other day when he's like, wait wait, wait what movies do we have coming up next? Um, and I said, well, we got Beetlejuice, and then we've got Baron Munchausen. And he just kind of looked at me again, and I was like, okay, well, the, the Baron Munchausen one, it's like... And then I just got stuck. I did not know how to explain in a very quick and concise way what this movie was. So I'm going to pretend that 
we've got somebody that once has, has heard of this movie, but they've only heard the name of this movie. How would you explain this movie to someone else? If you only had a, if you only had a couple of sentences, how would you explain this movie to somebody else? Because I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and I have a hard time <laughs> trying to explain. Yeah. You know, most of my explanations come out as, well, it's kind of this weird, quirky little adventure thing. Similar to Monty Python, but based in crazy fantasy as opposed to satirical comedy. Okay. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the the one I had kind of boiled it down to because I was really thinking about this because I, I did not do it justice when I was trying to explain this to Jeff the other day um, was I, I kind of had boiled it down to it's an adventure, it's a fantasy adventure that would be appropriate that is from the creators of Monty Python but would be appropriate for both adults and children. I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, I, the only thing that keeps me from showing this to my daughter is I think she would be freaked out by the angel of death part. Otherwise, I think my sister was probably the same age as my daughter is now when we first saw this and she likes this movie. So, you know, I, I think I, I don't hesitate to say that this would be a movie that kids would enjoy because of the fantasy imagination part of it. Okay. There are some kind of creepy, freaky characters in it, but um, you know, I, I think I think everybody knows their own kids. So if you have kids and you wanted to show them this, I think you just need to know whether or not your kids could handle something like that. If they, if a, a winged skeleton creature trying to steal somebody's life force, uh, if that would freak your child out, then maybe don't show them this movie. But if you think your kids would be okay with it, then. I think it could be a movie that could be for both adults and children. Yeah, I, I think it could. I think it could be for both. And again, the Angel of Death is a little scary, but nothing in this movie is so completely crazy, bizarro, over the top that it's nothing you haven't seen. I don't want to say haven't seen before, right? But it's nothing that you really haven't. so completely over the top that you're just like I can't get with this I mean right. it, it, it's just like I said it's just kind of bringing fantasy to real life and yeah there's some comedy parts in it but it's not crazy slapsticky humor that no one would get you know okay so it's just literally like a like a cartoon with real people is so, the way I'd say it so I'm going to, since you're the only person here with me tonight, I'm going to ask you this question, and it's specifically tailored to you. Oh, great. What, <laughs> what's the difference between this movie and The NeverEnding Story? Because you, I mean, I'm not going to say that you didn't like The NeverEnding Story, but you had, a, you had a, a little bit of a hard time with the fantasy aspect of NeverEnding Story. Right. Well, I just got confused with the ending. Okay. Like, wait, what happened? So I guess the difference is, I guess the difference is, well, in that sense, well, I guess in that sense, it's really not different because that wasn't the question I just asked him. It was, hey, what, what happened in the end? Did you, he die or You're not? a little confused about the ending, yeah. So, you know, um, I, I guess the only difference between this and the never-ending story is 
This has a little bit more silly comedy okay. to it. Or I don't want to say silly comedy like silly like lame, but silliness to it. Well, Monty, know, Monty Python um, comedy. Yeah, Monty Python comedy. There's silly to it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's British silliness. Exactly. Whereas I don't believe that uh, Never Ending Story um, was supposed to be silly or comedic. No, I, um, I think that was German silliness, and that's, that's not quite as silly. Right, exactly. And then the other thing was that kind of, because Dominic was asking about the Never Ending Story, because I've made a reference to the nothing, so he yeah. was asking about it, trying to explain it without giving it away, and... Which actually was really easy because I just didn't get it. And I told him, like, I don't know. We'll have to watch it again together and we can try it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but I think, like, also Never Ending Story, you know, wasn't that bouncing back and forth between the real world and the book world. And the whole idea was if the kid believes in the make-believe stories, then the make-believe stories will exist. But if people stop reading the stories and turn away from them, then they'll be forgotten about. And so that's why the story... Like, wasn't that kind of an aspect to it? Yeah, um, which, which is very similar to this one. Right. But in this one, it's kind of like, I don't know, and, and maybe it's just, maybe it's just that I'm more comfortable with the idea of some guy just telling a story kind of, you know, again, that don't let the truth get in the way of the good stories. Well, yeah, that wasn't the first time I died. Well, wait a minute. What yeah. did you die? Oh, well, okay. Well, he's telling a good story. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, I, it was easier for me to adapt to in this one. Okay. But you're right because it bounced back and forth between, okay, well, is he telling a story? Okay, is the, the real Baron Munchausen? Oh, okay, now he's in, back in time. Okay, well, now he's forward in time. Okay, well, now he's good. No, he's dead, but he's still alive. So... Yeah, it, it had that aspect too. Maybe it was just not as on the nose as Never Ending Story, you know, with suddenly what happened at the end. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, just, I want to ask you that because yeah. I knew we had, when we had way, way, way back when we did the Never Ending Story episode, I knew that kind of some of the fantasy aspect of it was kind of, it was not your cup of tea with, uh, with Never Ending Story. And I just, to me, when I think of this movie, I think there's a lot of similar elements. And when you immediately said, oh, I really like this movie, I was like, well, okay, well, then I, I definitely need to ask you, what was it, you know, do you do you see that same similarity between these two kind of fantasy-ish movies, um, you know, and, and what causes you to maybe react better to this one than you did to the other one? Or have you just yeah, grown, or have you just grown and matured and... Well, I don't know if I've grown up and matured. I mean, you'll have to ask that one. I don't know if that's possible. You know what I think? You know what I think? Part of it was too. Right from the, uh, right from the get go, you know that this movie is going to be outlandish, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be okay. Is this guy t-? like you're always like okay? Who's telling the truth? Who's not? What's the story? What isn't? Yeah. What's going on? And all that. I think that the comedic aspect made it easier a little bit more palatable. Okay. I think in the never-ending story, you were kind of going along and he's reading about the story and you're following along and wow, that's cool. And then all of a sudden at the ending, it was like, wait, all of a sudden, wait, what happened? 
up until the ending, it's like, okay, kids in the real world. Okay, there's a fantasy world. Maybe these worlds intersect. Maybe they don't. Like, everything was kind of going along with your typical kind of fantasy movie fare, whether it's a made-up story or not. And then suddenly at the end, it got all kind of funky. So I guess maybe in that movie, why I, I, I if you'll allow the phrase, if I bumped on that a little bit more, was because it just it, it seemed to get crazy right at the end. Whereas this movie was crazy throughout. So you're kind of like, oh, okay. This, just, is, this is what, yeah. Yeah, you just, you yeah. expect it. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I want to, and I think I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this again next week too, um, when we do Beetlejuice. And uh, so I'll, I'll do this introduction for folks then too. But um, I've, I've wanted to, because I've been using this app uh, to try to kind of do some different stuff with keeping track of the movies we've been watching. And there's a rating system on there so I can rate the movies that we talk about. Um, so I want to start rating some of our movies. And I know this is very subjective, but, um, and, and try to come up with a unique way each episode to be able to rate these movies. So like if it was... Um, if we were doing the movie E.T., uh, how many Reese's Pieces would you give it out of four? Um, something like that. So for Baron Munchausen, let's see. How many cannonballs would you give this? He flies, he, you know, holding onto the cannonball, riding on the cannonball through the one scene. Out of four cannonballs, how many cannonballs would you give this? Um, I'd say three. Okay. It was a fun movie. It was uh, a little bit quirky. I probably will watch it again. I can't say it was like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, you know? But, uh, yeah, it was a fun movie. Okay. I think I would also give it a three, um, just because I remember as a kid, I really, really enjoyed this movie. There are scenes that when, I, I know when I told you guys initially about this movie and, and most of the reactions were, Baron, what? Never heard of this thing. If somebody mentions yeah. this movie to me, or if I see the poster somewhere, I always have these fond memories of, of watching this movie. It's not one that I sit down and I go, oh man, I haven't seen that in years, i got to put that on right away. It's one of those movies where I think back to, oh yeah, I used to watch that as a kid, that's a really fun movie. But I don't necessarily follow that thought with, I need to go watch that right now. Um, you know, so it's one that I have fond memories of. I vividly remember. I mean, this movie is so visual and so um, unique, and it, it, it's got the kind of the Monty Python set design kind of stuff going on too, um, and and very much in in Terry Gilliam's other stuff. You know, Brazil and and some of his other movies. Um, it's very the visuals are just very striking, um, and so I, yeah. there are things that I, I vividly remember about this movie, even though I had not seen it in quite a while, in, in many many years. Um, and you know what? It's because of that. I think if I were watching this for the first time as an adult, I don't know that I would like it as much. I think I would still enjoy it, and I think I would appreciate it, but I don't think I would. If I didn't have all those memories, I wouldn't come back to this movie. Whereas I could see, you know, this is not a movie I'm going to watch once a year. This is a movie I might watch once every few years. So I, I think because of that, yeah. out of four, out of four cannonballs, I'm going to give this one a three. Yeah. So I think that's a, I think that's a fair score. So we can we can take our three cannonballs and we can ride those across the battlefield and and that'll be just one of the times that we died. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our show on the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, if you have, and now I'm kind of curious. Now that I saw that there was a version of this uh, that came out in 2012, I would like to actually go find that somewhere. Um, apparently, the actor who played, and I don't have the name of that actor right in front of me, the actor who played Baron Munchausen in the 2012 TV movie version, apparently played Baron Munchausen a little bit more like he's Jack Sparrow. Okay. So, and I could kind of see that working too. Like, you know, Jack Sparrow tends to make stuff up and tell stories that gets him out of whatever jam he's in right now. So um, I'd like to track that down and, and see that at some point, just to kind of see how it's different from this one that I always remember growing up with and, and watching as a kid. So, but yeah, so that's going to do it for our Baron Munchausen episode. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to go check out any of our past episodes or get in touch with us, talk about the movies that we've been talking about, if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, whatever. If you just want to send us a note and say, hey, we think you're awesome, keep doing what you're doing, or hey, I don't even know. Um, I'm not going to make up anything negative because that that's no fun. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear negative stuff. I mean, if you want to tell us, hey, we you know, think maybe you could do this on the show, you're not doing this, but we'd like to hear this, and that kind of stuff, the constructive criticism. We would love to hear the constructive criticism. Exactly. Um, as long as it yes. builds people up. Builds people up. There we go. Yeah, we're all about building it up. We're, we're all about building it up. So uh, if you're going to do any of that, then 30podcast.com, 30podcast.com is the best way to go get a hold of us because that will get you to all the different ways that you can talk to us, whether you want to leave us a voicemail on our voicemail line, uh, if you want to send us an email, if you want to tweet at us, if you want to find us on Instagram, uh, all those different places. We're on Facebook as well. All those different places, if you want to check those out, as well as listen to our entire back catalog of uh, movies that we've talked about, all of the 191 episodes before this one, uh, you know, that is probably the best way to go do that. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, all these different places. Um, so please feel free to, to head back there and, and take a look and uh, find something you like. I mean, at this point, we've done 191, 192 episodes. And uh, there's bound to be something, especially if you're an 80s fan, because that's what we do. There's bound to be something there that you're going to enjoy. So go ahead and take a look back at our our back catalog of stuff. Um, If you want a quick way to see all that, uh, sometime in the very near future, like I said, I've I've been using an app called uh, Letterboxd. And uh, I've created a list of all the movies that we've done. So you could visually just like cycle through real fast and see like the, the movie covers uh, of the different movies we've done up to this point. So I will send that out on Facebook and Twitter and all those different places. I'll put it up on our website uh, at some point soon. And you'll be able to check us out that way too. That might be a, a quicker and easier and more visual way to look through the different movies we've done up to this point. So coming up next, uh, next week we will have Beetlejuice great movie one of my favorite uh, Michael Keaton movies of all time Um, so that's going to be next week Um, we will try to say his name only once or twice I I don't know if we say his name three times I mean if we do that three times do you think he shows up as a guest on the podcast I think he does and man what what would ensue a lot of fun I think I mean well well granted I mean that's it's it if you were actually in the movie I don't think Beetlejuice is much fun as watching him in the movie Mm-hmm. I don't think I would want to be the Maitlands or the Dietzes. Got it. Definitely Got not it. Otho. 
All right. So that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, like I said, next week we got Beetlejuice, and then coming up in July we've got Everybody's All American is coming out on July fourth. Um, uh, the next week after that is Eight Men Out. Uh, if we can, in the middle of the month, we're going to get an Ant-Man and the Wasp episode in there, too. And then to finish off the month of July, we have the doubleheader of 1988 Tom Cruise movies with Rain Man and Cocktail. So if you want to watch any of those movies, Beetlejuice, Everybody's All-American, Eight Men Out, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Rain Man, Cocktail, go watch those first. Come on back here and listen to us. Um, again, uh, I am your host, John Reed. i got Pat Canigallo with me today. So thank you for being here, Pat. Thank you, John. It was fun, man. Fun movie. So we will be back here next time with Beetlejuice. And I think I only said it twice, so maybe... maybe oh, no, maybe We're I said good. it three times. I don't know. What happens if you feed Beetlejuice... Oh, I said it again. What happens if you feed him after midnight? I don't know. Just don't get him wet. Oh, that, well, yeah. Well... Okay, okay. <clears throat> you can't see it, but I'm pulling on my collar. Um, yes. I, I was almost I feel like Rodney Dangerfield over here. Oh, I, I tell you, I tell you. As a kid, as, as a kid, I was so ugly. My mom used to put meat around my neck so the dog would play with me. I tell you, I get no respect. All right, this is not a Rodney Dangerfield podcast. We are headed out the door. So uh, be excellent to each other. We'll see you all back here next time. Go watch some good movies in the meantime, and we'll see you back here next week for Beetlejuice. <laughs>